So welcome back to the last session. This is the last session. Uh, okay, how many people want to admit they cry every time Melody shares? Anybody else? I can't help it. And those of you, those men in here that are like, come on, guy. Uh, listen, being sensitive is okay. It's okay to be sensitive. Um, I'm really glad to be sharing with you. I'm a little sad. It's our last time because I, th I think I'm finally starting to warm up to you. I think you guys are okay. I feel like you guys are all right. Uh, you're not as bad as I thought when I first saw you. When I first saw you on Saturday, I thought, but it's better. It's better than I thought. It's not really great, but it's not bad. So um, I, uh, I want to share with you a story. Uh, there's a man named Matt Ray that goes to my church. He has said that I can share this publicly, this story of his. He and his wife, uh, they're both amazing. They're young, very young. They're in their 30s. And um, they are an amazing family. They have kids of their own. And not too long ago, a couple years ago, uh, Matt felt impressed, just convinced that they were supposed to adopt. That the adoption that's described in the New Testament, uh, it was for them and that they needed to adopt. And they decided to adopt a little girl from China, which wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to get over there. It cost a lot of money. There was a lot of paperwork. And they went through a big... This, this long ordeal, and after they chose to adopt, uh, he got a really weird sickness that he still to this day is barely diagnosing and understanding what's going on, but um, he can't grow his hair, and things inside are going wrong, he can't eat certain foods, and he's got toxic stuff in his blood, and, and that all happened right after they chose to adopt. Um, anyway, they ended up going through the process they adopted last year, and they went to go get their little girl. Her name is Noel. So sweet. So sweet. They go to China. Their kids stay in Kansas. Their kids stay in the United States because they had other kids. They had a few other kids. Um, and while they were gone, their son broke his arm. And uh, they couldn't do anything. They couldn't come back from China. They were about to go meet their little girl, Noel, that they were really anticipating seeing. And, and Matt is this tall, skinny guy. Tall, skinny, bald just sweet as could be. He, he, he's got that big old smile, and he'll say hi to you. Well, he had been nervous the night before, so they stayed up uh, the night before fasting and praying because they were getting ready to meet Noel, and um, they just felt this real strange uh, conviction like, you know, there, there's just something, some discouragement. There's this discouraging spirit going on. I don't know what's happening, and so they really wrestled with that through the night, and they go to meet her the next day, and he's there, and he's just anticipating, this is my first time adopting, this is my little girl and everything. And they bring her out. They had to go to this special place, and they bring her out. And he goes to meet her, and she just wants nothing to do with him. She is like, no, it's a really awkward scene. He said he felt really horrible. Um, he just imagined that she was going to come out and just be like, oh, my new dad, you love me so much. And um, she warmed up a little bit to mom, but she would like yell and scream and didn't want anything to do with him. And he was sharing the story. It was a personal story that he, he said I could share it publicly. And he said it really made him feel horrible. And uh, he said he was standing there in the room. He can't go near her. She doesn't want anything to do with him. And uh, this little girl, I think she was three or something like that. And he said he started feeling bad like, do you know how many tens of thousands of dollars I spent to, to adopt you? This is what he was thinking in his mind. Do, do you know that I came all the way over here to another country just to pick you up? Like, 
Like, do you not know that I have risked so much, that I've changed so much of my life? Our entire life is different. Our entire family's different because I, I wanted to care for you. He's thinking these, these thoughts in his mind because he's, you know, he's honest. And he just was burdened like, don't you know how much I care for you? And uh, he realized she did not. She did not know at all. She didn't, she didn't have anything. Now, I will say today she loves jumping in his arms, and they have a great relationship today. But that really burdened him, and he said that one thing that he found out about God through that interaction was there has been times in his life where he realized he had been rejecting and resisting to God, and now he felt in some way that he could relate to God's heart in, don't you know how much I sacrificed for you? Don't you know why I'm here? Don't you know that I'm here to get you, to bring you to me? Like, don't you understand all that I went through to come to this point so that you can have a home with me, to adopt you into my family, to give you a father and a home and a family? And, um, and Matt said that's changed his life forever, that that one incident with his daughter Noelle has changed him. And that uh, has nothing to do with the sermon today. I just... Just wanted to share that story. Um, but tail, tailing off of that, one thing that I love about people that I've met in, in church, people that I've met in my current church I love so much, um, there's a difference between a follower and a consumer. There is a huge difference between someone who... I love God and I want to do what it takes and I'm willing to sacrifice and it's scary and it's hard but even so I'm going to put the I'm going to put one foot in front of me I'm going to each day I want to follow God I'm willing to do it and uh, in in our church we have lots of followers of Jesus which I which I just celebrate but there are also some that are consumers they um they know lots of things. Like if you were to Bible trivia them, they would be able to give answers about certain things. Uh, but if you were to spend one night in their house and you were to see how they treat their spouse or their children, or if you were to see what they really did with their lives and how many people they're actually making disciples, how many disciples they're making, how many times they share their faith, how many of their neighbors even know they exist and know that they're believers, when you get into the life of somebody, the real life, behind the scenes, behind the curtain, you find out very quickly, is this someone that's really trying to make it by learning things or are, you know, and that's it, they're a consumer, or is this someone that's saying, everything I learn, I want to apply to my life. Every command that Jesus gives, every, every urging of the Holy Spirit, I don't care what it costs, I don't care what you think, I want to do that. I want to follow Jesus with my life. I want to really give it to my life. I want to talk about that in the brief moments that we have. I know we have to end at 8 o'clock. I want to share with that in the next 15 minutes. I want to share with you. Because earlier this morning, we looked at James 1, 19 through 21, and we saw that a real faith is a faith that listens. A real faith is one where you hear God and you, you listen to others and you have this uh, quick-to-hear type of habit in your life where you're quick to hear. But listening isn't the only thing that our faith ought to do. Uh, a real faith, one way to say it is, uh, being quick to listen does not mean being slow to act. So as important as listening in is and hearing the Holy Spirit and knowing what God is telling you, as important as that is, that doesn't mean that you can be passive or that you, that's it, that listening 
uh, doesn't mean that you should be slow to act. So I'm going to read James 1, 19 through 21, and then add the other verses, because I want you to see James's flow of thought. I want you to hear how God was inspiring James to write the Word of God to share with them and connect between listening and doing. So I'm going to read in James 1, 19 again. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, uh, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So notice what James is saying. Listen, I want you guys to really listen. I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit. I want you to hear what God is telling you. I want you to understand the word, but don't be hearers only. Don't just listen. You know, there's a point at which we need you to, to do something. You know, we, we, you know, if you've ever been part of an organization or part of an effort or a ministry or missions, if you've ever been part of something, you're like, listen, I am great. You all are listening. You're hearing what's going on. But there comes a point when now I need you to do something. You, you, you need to get off the bench. You need to get into the game. We, we need you to be a part of what's happening. And so there comes a moment at which listening, it's not that you stop listening, but that you start doing. So James is trying to tell them, listen, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Uh, you see how being quick to listen doesn't mean being slow to act. And he says, for if a, anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Now, why did he use man and not woman? Just curious. I don't know. Maybe you can think about that later. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like, which sadly is probably true of most men. Uh, verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So, uh, thinking about what an obedient faith is, uh, not just a faith that listens, but a faith that obeys immediately. When you think about a faith uh, that listens, you see that an, an obedient faith is founded on God's Word. Now, you guys already know that because you're here at Gull Lake. That's nothing new for you, but I want you to take in what James is writing. He begins with this whole word thing. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Actually do what the Bible says, uh, not just hear it and deceiving yourself. So the word's implanted in you. That's the word that you're supposed to do. I'll give you an example. I became a Christian at 16. I told you a little bit about my past. I got into Bible college. I was 18. Um, I didn't know much, but that was when God was really speaking in my heart and teaching me a lot of things. I get to college, and I realize that there's something wrong in my life. And the thing that was wrong in my life wasn't a new thing. It wasn't something new. It was my relationship with my mother. Um, when I was young, about four years old, I was abused sexually. And my mom had something to do with that. She wasn't the perpetrator. Um, but she tried to cover it up. And when my dad came back from the military, he was stationed somewhere else. He came, and I told him what had happened. And he got really upset, and he got upset at my mom. And he said, why didn't you do anything? Why didn't you say anything? And my mom was friends with, with that person. And so uh, my dad wasn't going to 
you know, deal with it. He said, no, we're, we're going to have to do something about this. And so the police got involved. It was a big investigation. Somebody went to prison. It was a big deal. I was, I was abused. And so that was a big piece of my story, a big piece of my life. And then when I was around the age of nine, I didn't know it then, but that was around when my mom got into drugs and started abusing substances and our whole life changed. Um, I was talking to my mom one time and I brought it up because I remembered at nine years old, I remembered a little bit of what happened. I said, why did you let this happen? You know, why did you, why did, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you change something? You knew better. You knew that there was some danger here. And um, she yelled at me. And since you're all adults, ever, there's all adults in here, I can tell you. She said, F you, you're the reason why I don't have any friends. Now, she didn't say that with the tone I'm using it. She, of course, was yelling. And she told me that. Now, my mom has gone through a lot, and I forgive my mom, and my mom was abused when she was a kid. And my mom has been through a lot, and drugs also affected her life. And so um, if my mom were here today, I'd give her a hug if she, she were here. Um, but that's what happened. And that was my relation with the world. As you can imagine, I felt a little bitter about that. I had some hurt feelings about that. And when I was a teenager, I chose to hate my mom. I chose to feel like she ruined our family and she did some things to me and my mom's also a hoarder and so my childhood was just difficult in different ways and she also got messed up with other things as we got older and so my teenage years were not fun, not good and so I remembered that and I go to Bible college, I'm a believer, I want to go into ministry and God told me, uh, you know what the Bible says about forgiveness and I thought, of course I do. There's not a person that has ever gone to church that doesn't know that Jesus says, you forgive everybody. You forgive your enemies. You, you, anybody that has sinned against you, you forgive them. I had known that for years. I'm talking, this is not, if you would have quizzed me on this, I would have made an A every time. And the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, you have not forgiven your mother. You have not really forgiven her. I went back home that Christmas. I got a flight from a family friend. They didn't want me to be home all alone in the dorm, the guy's dorm. I couldn't stay there anyway. And so I flew home to Michigan, and I had a conversation with my mom, and I said, Mom, I forgive you. And she was talking and talking. I said, no, I want you to, this is important. I forgive you for everything. Well, my mom started crying. I started crying. I said, I forgive you. I know what the Bible says about forgiveness. I've known it actually for a long time, it feels like. I've known this for years. The Bible says forgive anyone who sins against you. And that forgiveness means that they no longer owe you anything. The debt is paid. There is not a cent on their ledger. Their, their, their cost, their debt is gone. I said your debt is completely gone. I forgive you of everything you've said, everything you've done. And there's more that I am not having time to tell you. She took that very personal that I was telling her I forgive her. And we had a great moment that night. And I went back to college and I, I thought that was a big, you know, victory. And I learned that I had to forgive my mom probably about 30 more times. Uh, the older I'm getting, the more I forgive her. And I want her to be a part of my kid's life and that's a challenge. And so I have to forgive my mom because I've learned that forgiveness, you owe me no debt. But pain will come back, and there are times where I have to tell God, I have forgiven her. She's already forgiven. I don't need to re-forgive her, but I need to deal with this forgiveness thing again. And as a pastor, I have learned that there are many church people, many like you, that you know what the Bible says. You know the Bible says, love your enemy. 
You know the Bible says forgive anybody that sins against you. You know the Bible says it's better to give than receive. You know Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know what the Bible says, but just like me, is it really reflected in your life? I am so tired of meeting a guy that's been going to church for 50 years. And if I ask him, hey, there's this, there's this guy, he's a, he works for the railroad, you, would, you, he, you work for the railroad, I'm telling you, this guy needs, he just became a Christian in August, would you please disciple him? And for that man to tell me, I don't know how to disciple anybody. I don't know what to do. And it just makes me sick. It makes me furious because I'm like, how can you be following Jesus for however many years and you don't know what to tell this man? You, you don't know how to spend five minutes with him and has everything you've learned. He, he knows Elijah versus Elisha. He, he knows the Old Testament books. He, he, he knows books of the Bible. He knows about the laws. He knows about the offerings and forgivenesses. But you can't take a 40-year-old man and talk to him about what it means to follow Jesus? What is that? It's this. You are hearers only, but not doers. You have a plethora of Bible information. You have so much about Jesus. You know about the way he treated others. You know about the culture and the background. You understand the, the ways in which he fought against his day and the difference between Jew and Gentile. You know how God set up the law and then this new covenant with Jesus. You know so much about him. You know revelation. You, you know that Jesus is coming back. You know about the end times. You know about the new heavens and the new earth. You know about the angels, the seven bowls and the trumpets. You know all these facts and you love it and you would pay money to hear someone tell you again. But when I ask you, who are you discipling right now? Who are you investing in? Who are you forgiving? Have you forgiven everyone in your life? Are you just doing the basic principles or do you, you can't handle meat and you need milk again? Do I need to serve you milk, the elementary principles of the faith? about what it just means to love God, love people, and lead others to do the same. Do we have to go back to the basics? Because you're hearers, but not doers. Now, you guys are all great, and I'm not preaching at you. I'm saying for other people. <laughs> I, s I see the way you're looking at me right now, and I feel like our relationship is changing. I don't want that. <laughs> but do not be hearers only but be doers of the word. Don't deceive yourself. Don't trick yourself. Don't make yourself think, dude, if I read that book, if I get that study, if I learn more about this, if I can quote all this, don't think that that is going to make you a better Christian. That can only take you so far. As a matter of fact, it will only take you as far as you apply it ever, ever. You, you can know as much as anybody in the world about the Bible, and you can stand up on a stage and you can share facts with somebody. But if it's not real in your life, you are a hearer only. God wants us to be doers. He wants us to have an obedient faith. We say this thing in our house. I love it because I was taught it. Uh, delayed obedience is disobedience. Now, Someone has corrected me on that, and I have to humbly take correction because I'm the one up here that is going to be critiqued. None of you are going to be critiqued for anything you're thinking right now. Uh, and someone said, you know, Jesus said, 
which one obeyed, the son that said no and then later did it, or the son that said yes but didn't do it? And I always point out, yeah, okay, but he didn't do it. Okay, that's not obedience. So you're, you're killing me here. What are you trying to, why are you trying to mince this up? If you, if you don't obey God right away, then you are disobeying God until you obey him. It is not obedience until you apply it. And so Jesus, James, is very simple. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So being a doer of the word, and I'm going to have to skip a lot, and that's okay because you have the Bible, and so the, all this is in there. But be do, <laughs> go obey. Just read this stuff. It's actually not that. Honestly, if you just take one word at a time, and I could, I've shared some resources with some. I wish I had time to share some resources with the rest of you. Uh, PreceptAustin.org was great. Uh, the Vine's Complete Vine Word Study, that's, that's another great one resource. Study Bibles are really great. You guys can and you guys have access to study the Bible. Uh, I tell people this, this, some, this gets some long-term Christians upset. I don't want you to be upset with me. Just, just hear what I have to say, okay? Give me a chance. Most of you are not going to read the Bible in a year. Most of you are also not going to read the Bible disciplined-wise every day. But all of you need to grow in receiving God's Word and taking it in. So if you're uh, someone who doesn't like to read, they have audio Bibles now. And some of the best ones you do have to pay for. You do have to pay for it. And you know what? Everyone in this room, you should pay for it. It's almost minuscule compared to how much you get out of it. You can listen to someone else read you the Bible. Uh, you can read the Bible in so many different good translations. I used to be a stickler on translations until I went to graduate school to translate. And then I figured out it wasn't what I thought. It wasn't what some people taught me, and I didn't know enough about translation to know the difference. But there are good English translations out there that will help you understand God's Word. And so you need to receive God's Word and take it in. Most of you are not going to study the Bible every day. People get into these kind of conferences and they think, I'm going to become this Bible studier expert. Listen, unless you are a pastor or a minister that gets paid to study the Bible, most of you at best are going to study the Bible one hour a week. On the Saturday morning that you don't have work, before your kids are up, if you're really disciplined, you will open that up and you will study it. Now, all of you can read it every day. And if you're disciplined and as you grow, you can study it for 15, 30 minutes a day. Most of you will not do that unless you start somewhere. Once a week. Just once a week. Spend that time. Get your favorite drink. Have your favorite music on. Figure it out and, and spend time receiving uh, God's word. And so... I don't know why I'm telling you that, but don't, but just receive God's word. You are not going to become experts overnight, but you can apply God's word immediately. You can obey God immediately. Right away, you can do whatever he's told you to do. So be a, be a doer and a hearer of the word. If anyone is a hearer, um, inaction is a deception. That sounded right. The whole uh, deceiving yourselves. Don't be a hear. Don't just be a hearer. Be a doer also. So deceiving yourself. So one one phrase that has helped me uh, in my own personal life. I say in my mind, inaction is deception. Inaction is deception. If I'm not applying this and doing this, I'm deceiving myself, and that's just helped me stay accountable to the Holy Spirit. For every, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Does anybody know when mirrors were invented? 
in the 11th century is the glass mirror. The 11th century. Anybody know when James was written? First century. They didn't have glass mirrors like we have today. They had these, these were actually made of bronze. These are Egyptian and Middle Eastern uh, mirrors. This is just a good example of one. Mirrors, when James says, looks at himself in the mirror, this is what he's saying. Uh, Poor people didn't have mirrors. You know what mirrors costed you? You had to make not a weapon, not a tool. It was just vanity. You know what vanity dresser, you know, it was just vanity. It literally was, this is making us no money and getting us no further to anywhere we want to go. And so wealthy people owned mirrors. Now mirrors were, these are bronze. Most of them were of a metal. And what you would have to do, you would have to get a metal worker. You'd have to get them to give you a handle, make this really flat. Uh, In Egypt, they had uh, concave type mirrors and they would have to polish it and they would have to smooth it out. I don't know if you know much about 2,000 years ago, but smoothing out metal was not inexpensive. It took a lot of labor. It took a lot of time and attention. So someone had to make a mirror. It was expensive. So when James says, not to 21st century Americans, when he says, listen, only hearing God's word and not doing it is like a dude. By the way, there's a difference between a dude and a lady. Guys are supposed to make money in that culture. Guys are supposed to work. What you give your time and life to, you're supposed to get a a harvest from. You're supposed to reap from what you sow. So this is like a guy that, honestly, he shouldn't be fooling around with a mirror in the first place. What does he got to look good for? You know, he needs to make money. He needs to work on the farm. This is like a guy who gets an expensive tool that is only used to lose money, and he looks at himself in that mirror and then walks away and forgets, completely wasting his time. You went through all that time and all that money to get this thing and you walk away and you completely forget. And so he says, don't be like that man. Don't be like that deceptive, vainful man. And what he's doing is all the men in James's church, all the Jewish message, all the men who, you know what, Jesus is the Messiah. They're hearing this and thinking, I don't want to be that loser. Sorry, I'm not trying to offend anybody. I don't want to be that guy. I, I want to be the man that God has called me to be. I don't want to be this guy that's wasting his time looking at himself and not doing anything with it. And so James is using from some very colorful illustration to say, don't be that guy. Don't be that person. It's, it's a complete waste. And so it's 8.04, and I will not be able to finish uh, anything else. But I hope you guys get the heart of the message. Be doers. And, uh, and I'm sorry for preaching at you hardly. You know, this is our last night together. Don't, you know, be nice. And uh, uh, let's pray. I, I really, I know this sounds cheesy. I love you guys. And I have prayed for you for a year. And after meeting you, this has just been a joy getting to spend this time with you. And uh, I'm so glad God is, it's like a gift that God has given me and my family to be here. And to be able to share a little bit of God's word has been so much of a joy. And so thanks for letting me come. I'm going to pray. Father, we love you, and uh, you, Jesus, you are an example of what a real man is, and you did all the work that was necessary, day and night, and you sacrificed yourself, and you took a beating, and you never opened your mouth. You did not fight for yourself so that you could fight for us. And I, just, I thank you so much. I thank you for being a doer and not just a hearer and someone we can look to and know that you are a God and King. And I thank you for what you've called us to do. You've called everyone in this room to follow you and to put your word into practice. 
would you burn it in our hearts to not settle for what is true, but that we would make it a reality in our own lives? Would you help us to reflect your truth? Would you give us courage to follow you when it's hard? If you're calling us to adopt, that just seems so crazy to me. I don't know if I could ever do that, but I'd be willing to. If you called me to adopt a special needs child, I would do it for you uh, because you have done so much more. And I know that you would be here for each one of us as we follow you. There is no doubt that you care for your children and that you would provide for every need. And so we thank you for being a God that acts and that has acted on our behalf and that has adopted us and not left us as orphans. And I thank you for Melody and Chen and the family that is behind her and those that have cared for Journey School. I pray that you would bless that ministry and that you would continue to show us a little of what heaven is going to be like through loving those who, who, uh, who bring so much blessing to our lives. We love you and we praise you. We thank you for this camp um, and we thank you for this night that we're going to have in Jesus' name. Amen.